Welcome to Let It Be Easy with Susie Moore. Oh my gosh, Laura Belgray is in the house, my friends. If you don't already know Laura, you have been missing out because she's hilarious, she's brilliant, she's an incredible writer, and she's on the Let It Be Easy podcast today talking about her brilliant debut book, Tough Titties, on living your best life when you're the effing worst. (laughs) I have known Laura now, oh my gosh, when did we meet? In New York. I feel like I should say 10 years, but I actually think it's been less. The reason I lean towards, you know, saying a decade is because Laura and I became fast friends immediately. We've spent so much time together. In fact, when I lived in New York, we had a bit of a standing date every week to have dinner and we would talk about everything. Laura just makes you laugh. She has such a unique lens with which she sees the world. And she's a brilliant award-winning copywriter. I'm going to read you her bio here to be fancy. Laura Belgray is the founder of Talking Shrimp and the co-creator of The Copy Cure with Marie Folio. She's been featured in Fast Company, Money Magazine, Forbes, Vox, and Business Insider. And she's written for Bravo, Fandango, FX, NBC, HBO, USA, (laughs) Nick at Night, Nickelodeon, TV land, VH1, and more. Laura lives in New York and, except for college, has never lived anywhere else. Laura is a bona fide New Yorker. And I tell you, this book, Tough Titties, it's a must read. I love nothing more than a really great summer read. And Tough Titties, you want in your hand at the beach, by the pool, in the car, on the airplane. You want it by your side. Warning, you will laugh out loud. It's a collection of stories and essays about her life. And she really goes there. Let me tell you, Laura does not hold back. I really admire that about her, her transparency and truth and what she's willing to share. And this interview is all about the book, her stories, uh, all about the permission to be yourself, to be a late bloomer, to be someone who's showing up on your own timetable and doing life your way. I love this conversation. I love Laura. And I think you will too. So my friend, please enjoy this conversation, which is all about, I love, I love saying nothing more than tough titties. Laura Belgray, at last, here we are with tough titties. Congratulations on this beautiful book. Oh, thank you, Susie. Didn't it come out just so fast? Isn't it just <laughs> yesterday we were talking about me writing it? Only only 2017 when you said, oh, please don't let me hear you talking about your book a year from now. You wanted it out. I was like, oh, of course not. <laughs> that was in 2017, wasn't it? It was. It was. And a mere six years later. Um, Here it is. Well, I think the reason we had that conversation was everyone likes to, you know, have a dream or a goal. You know, I'll write my book. I'll, I'll make my move. I'll do this bold thing. And I, I think I was just urging you to, to, or will lovingly wanting to, wanting to see it, like wanting to see the action. And here we are. I mean, it takes time. 
It does take time. It does take time. Some it takes some of us more time than it takes others. But it was you were right to urge me because uh, I do have a tendency to talk about things for years and not take quick action on them the way you do. So I needed that. And that is a bit of an underlying theme of the book, too, it isn't is. it? You can see my. Uh, my favorite pieces here from the book. I wanted to read some out and discuss them with you. Starting actually with the opening, who you say the book is for. I mean, it's <laughs> it's so funny. I was rereading it this morning in preparation for this interview today, and I was laughing, laughing, laughing. <laughs> you you say here. You were born five days late. You had your first makeout at 15, sprouted big tits, hence the title, at 21, <laughs> entered slut phase at 21. Coincidence? Oh my gosh. <laughs> first job at 23, left the nest at 26, first and last drag of a cigarette at 28, rebellion boyfriend from 29 through 32, married at 37, had kids at, wait for it, never. Never. <gasps> Also a great topic in this book that I want to discuss, but who really is this book for? Because I know that this is the book that you wanted to write, and I think that a lot of people can relate to you. So when you think about your dream reader, who's consuming this, like, who are they? I think they are someone who might identify with the subtitle, which is unliving your best life mm -hmm. when you're the effing worst. Not someone who mm -hmm. wants to be the worst. Nobody does. But I think mo most people I identify with feel that they are secretly the worst or find themselves saying often, I'm so sorry, I'm the worst. Um, so, and, and have, and struggle to be their best selves all the time. Um, it's for people who feel behind in their life or career, um, or who find themselves, um, I don't know, wishing they could be more of themselves. Because I, I do like to inspire people to be their true selves, to be 100%. I like to inspire you to be 100% you. And I think that is a gift of mine, as opposed to the many liabilities that I talk about in the book. That I, I, I do, I am naturally, despite things that happen that I talk about in the book, able as an adult to be let's say I was going to say a hundred percent, maybe 99.9% myself, mm -hmm. my true self. Um, so it's, it's for all those people and I'm no, nothing is for everyone, but, um, I think that includes a lot of people, especially women. You know, Laura, there isn't another book like this that I've ever read and I read a lot. I mean, this is unique. It's hilarious. I mean, even if I just read out some of the chapter titles, <laughs> <laughs> like these, uh, there are some like there are some nice saucy ones here um deb fishbone likes this which i definitely want to dive into how to be popular boys don't like me <laughs> sorry i'm late bad at corporate star fuckers <laughs> commitment phobe a one act play he's never going to leave her company. I mean, we could go on and on here. I mean, <laughs> I, I can tell as I read this book, how many probably edits, just as someone who has been through the process, this wasn't a throw it up on a Google doc and submit. Right. I can feel no. how sharp, <laughs> how sharpened and probably too, how almost hard it was to edit out so much because mm. you've lived a lot and there are so many, we go in so many directions here. Like, yes. what do you think about your, what do you think about your titles and your chapters? Are there a couple of favorites that you have? 
I, listening to you read them back, I'm like, those are good. <laughs> I love them. I mean, I think one you didn't get to, self-help night near the Midtown Tunnel is a big favorite of mine. So I, I don't know. They're, they're all my children, even though I don't have children. <laughs> I love all my, I love all my chapters, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Which is your favorite? Do you have a favorite? Well, as I was rereading, I mean, this book is hilarious, my friends. Like you must get yourself a copy. It will just boost you. You get one for a friend, laugh in it together, book club material for sure. And not to mention Kelly Ripper loves this book. Let's just throw Mm -hmm. that in there too. Like you got some big fans already. I love how you opened with this um, childhood, (laughs) what should we call her? Good old Deb. Um, This this childhood nemesis of yours who took your best friend in class, who you've cut, who you've stayed um, friendly with on social media. Friendly. (laughs) But there are still a lot of feelings. There are. I mean, yes, I wouldn't call us friendly on social media. I friended her, but we both know that doesn't mean friendly. Um, I, (laughs) I really hate followed, hate friended and hate followed her, uh, because I'm petty. And part of that, part of that chapter, part of the message is, you know, go ahead and be petty. If you're petty, go ahead and petty. I know that we're supposed to, you know, uh, let go, release our grudges, you know, bless and release, wish people who've harmed us love and light and just forgive and let go. I'm for, I for, given her. I'm kind of over it. Kind of, I mean, in the chapter, you'll find that I'm, well, I say I'm over it and then I'm like, wow, I'm still thinking about this. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and so part of it, one layer of it is of me hate following her and finding her to be delightfully basic and all, and unremarkable as a person. And not that there's that much evidence, but also, admitting to myself and the reader that I want her to see that I'm thriving and having a super awesome, successful life and maybe um, make her wish that she had been nicer to me. So that's one layer of it. The other layer of it is what she did to me, which is, you know, um, steal my best friend in sixth grade, make my life, kick me out of my friend group. uh, So I wasn't invited to pizza Wednesdays. They all went to buy leg warmers without me, et cetera. But the worst thing that she did to me was when I I had written a, um, a creative writing piece for English class that I had had handed back. It was a story, not at all autobiographical called Lydia and me about a girl my age who went to a totally different private school in New York city. And, um, I was very pleased with it and it was fiction and Mm -hmm. Deb Fishbone in the, like I had, I was holding it in the lunchroom and Deb Fishbone grabbed it out of my hands. I was like, Hey, that's mine. Give it back. And proceeded to read it out loud. She flipped through it, you know, Hmm, what have we here? And just happened to find the one like most vulnerable paragraph of it, uh, which was, I have good friends, but I feel I'm losing them slowly. So she read this out loud and then pointed at me and said, this is you. And I was like, uh, no, it's not. It's fiction. Don't you know what fiction is? And she's like, no, this yeah. is you. And I've never 
felt, I can't remember a time uh, where I felt so exposed and um, so in danger for being myself. And so the lesson of that, which I've had to spend many years unlearning, is that, you know, it's not, it wasn't safe to be me and that one person disliking you could ruin your life. And that's, I think, something that we all learn in some form, whether it's in middle school or in high school or later in life when like a well-meaning relative uh, says, mm-hmm. like, you sure you want to be so you in your website? It's, it doesn't feel mm-hmm. professional. And um, we like almost all of us are told in some form that it's not okay to be you. It's not okay, okay to be ourselves. So that's something I spent a lot of time kind of unraveling and unlearning and reminding myself, like, it's okay to be disliked. One person disliking me cannot ruin my life unless they sue me, which is why I changed mm-hmm. Deb Fishbone's <laughs> name and I would never use the real name <laughs> ever. I love this passage because I feel like it's so relatable because sometimes I do think we have these dreams that maybe an ex-boyfriend or someone who fired us or somebody who, um, who just wronged us or we felt betrayed, whatever the feeling is, we're like, I really want them to see me. Like, I really yes. want them to see see my ads or see me in the media, you know, wh- whatever it is. And you say, <laughs> I love this. I like to picture a split screen. On one side of it, I'm with my husband and friends at an impossible to get into restaurant, <laughs> being sent a procession of off-menu dishes that we didn't order, <laughs> compliments of the chef. By day, I'm under a sun umbrella, comfortably propped on outdoor throw pillows, sipping a frosty summer drink and typing something that will earn abundant money, fame and accolades. It's a fantasy. Go with it. And by the way, if this fantasy sounds girl boss, basic, bitch, well, yeah, I'm a little basic too. But is it basic if you're aware of it? Back in my vision, I smile at the laptop, a private joke to myself. The joke is about how good it feels to get paid for the exact thing I was bullied for, being me. Splice this imagery with scenes of me on stage in front of thousands, making them cry, peel off with my signature talk. It opens up a story of how I stopped giving a shit about Deb Fishbone, which as you can tell, I totally did. <laughs> you must get the book to read the other side of the split screen, what Deb is doing. <laughs> Nothing nearly as impressive. No. Do you think we can all relate to this? Like you said, a relative, whatever it is in our past. I mean, as I'm reading that, I'm like, I don't think I even have one person. I've got probably a stream of people who pop up at different times in my history. And I'm like, yeah, I'm yeah. <laughs> not proud of these feelings. <laughs> nope. But I'm sure they are mad that you turned out to be so spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what I, fi- what I was finding as I read your book is how extremely, first of all, honest, but you know, I think sometimes when we write about our lives, we shield a lot. Like we'll share 20%, maybe we'll like give a little nugget here and there of, oh, that felt really brave of me. But you're just like, you're out there. You're talking about (laughs) your relationships. You're speaking about being fired. You're speaking about not fitting in. Was this like, were you scared to write any of this? Or were you just like, that's time. I've got a lot to say. (laughs) I wasn't really scared to. I have to say, that I think I think the people I thought about, like that made me nervous, um, like I don't want this person to read it, were my parents. And in fact, the dedication says like, you know, mom, maybe <laughs> yeah. skip chapter nine. And then dad, if you're up there, you too. 
And not going to lie, I do feel like my dad dying in 2018, um, as sad as it was, hard as it was to say goodbye to him, it did release something. It released some pressure and freed me up to write more honestly. Because there's there's a lot in this book that I just couldn't imagine him, couldn't bear the thought of him reading. I didn't want my mom to read it either. But um, but in terms of the general public and people who might not like parts of it or might judge me or might not like me, I am not. That's one thing that I'm not afraid of. And I, it's not that I'm not a people pleaser at all. It's not that I enjoy being disliked and don't want to be liked by everybody. I do. And it's not that I'm immune to criticism either. I like. I think I will probably have very defensive feelings if somebody you know, when somebody says, judges me for the things I've written, um, more so if they judge how I've written them and, and criticize my writing itself. But I kind of get, I, I really enjoy being honest on the page and kind of get off on it. And I would say that's one thing that I, I feel I have a gift for TMI for sharing it all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can see that that's why you've been so successful as like in the copywriting world, because I think no one feels like they're allowed to say really what they're thinking, or we're all just like now chat GPTing stuff or like sweating from other people or getting inspiration. It's like, how would I really speak about all those things that happened to me or how I really felt or how that person really hurt my feelings? It's so easy to go, no, I'm fine. I'm strong. That meant nothing. I'm good. Like you're just like, no, like I was heartbroken. I wanted to be cool. I, I love this line you say here on page 17. I coveted the weather beaten lust of belonging. Like what a beautiful sentence. I mean, as I read this, I'm like, oh, like it's, it's almost, of course, it re as a memoir, it reads as good as fiction, right? It's such a page turner. But there's also just these like gorgeous flashes of, I mean, I don't even know something like eternal in there for everybody. <laughs> Thank you. And it just, it, it's so moving. And one chapter I do want to touch on, because I feel like you and I have had this conversation a lot, is the baby fever mm-hmm. chapter, which is more towards the end, because <laughs> you've also written about this in other ways, in other contexts. Can you tell us what inspired this? Because it's, it's so funny to me that it's still even a topic of conversation. Yeah, it's funny when when people flip through my table of contents, they're like, baby fever, did you actually want babies? And I'm like, no, baby fever is a condition everyone else came down with, and I never did. Uh, The whole world was crazy for babies. And um, I remember going to dinner with a friend, this is in the book, and uh, a woman, I was in my, we were both in our 30s, and a woman got up to take her wailing infant outside. And as as the door shut off the noise of the screaming, I went, thank God. And she at the same, my friend at the same time said, I have baby fever. And I was like, really? Why, when am I going to have baby fever? I just never felt it. I didn't feel this maternal longing. And yet I spent a long time on the fence because I was waiting to want kids because there was no evidence, no evidence around me or anywhere in the media, in literature, um, among my friends, people who'd had babies, people who hadn't, that you could, as a woman, live a fulfilling happy life without having kids. 
and uh, you know all the the media was crazy for babies um i think it was some at some point in my early 30s that us magazine started running that feature bump watch and um oh, okay. yeah and focusing on celebrity babies celebrity pregnancies celebrity tots and um every you know every celebrity couple was like having their fourth kid and they're over the moon and nowhere did you see a headline that said like Jennifer Aniston isn't having babies and she's over the moon it was all heartbreak for Jen so it was hard to get off the fence and come around to a clear no. And um, maybe that is why like, uh, the people could hear it in my voice that I was on the fence. And maybe that was an invitation for them to try and persuade me that I should have kids. So they would say, well, you'll probably change your mind, um, or mm-hmm. you still have plenty of time, or if you don't have them, you can always adopt. And almost nobody said, don't don't have them. If you don't want to have them, don't have them. You're going to be, you're going to have no regrets and be totally happy. And I had no, there were no role models, no evidence of anybody who was older, who hadn't had kids, who had chosen not to have kids and was having a great life and who was considered to have it all. Um, I feel like no, there's no woman's version of having it all that involves that it has involves not having kids you're not you don't have it all unless you have the successful career the happy marriage and kids that's what having it all means in our culture and so like even oprah was regarded as a little bit sad you know she yes. she has it all except for kids like she you know her life doesn't have the full meaning that it would if she had kids um so that is what that's kind of what inspired this chapter. I wanted to talk about it for anyone who's out there on the fence and or you know who, who's either on the fence or doesn't have kids and is afraid they're going to regret it. And because I wanted to be a beacon <laughs> and say, guess what? Yes. I'm I mean, I'm not that old. Um I haven't lived my full life yet, so I can't say mm-hmm. I lived my whole life with no kids and never regretted it, mm-hmm. but so far so good. I have no regrets. I'm really happy with that choice, and I want other people to know that that is possible for them. I'm really happy that we're talking about this because people ask me about it because I obviously don't have kids, but it's not even something that I talk about because I don't really have anything to say. It's like, you know, why haven't you been to Greece? I don't know. I just haven't. Like it hasn't called to me. <laughs> you know, right. why haven't you? Oh, you'll change just, your mind. <laughs> well, maybe, but that's of no interest to me today. Right. So I, I feel like I've got really nothing to offer. I just think, I think that people know what they want. Like, I, the same way, you know, if, if I walk past a bookstore, I'm like, oh, that just calls me in, right? Maybe yeah. someone sees like a mother and they're like, or a pregnant woman, they're like, oh, I want to like, just look at her for a second, you know? So for me, I don't really have anything to say. I just say, well, you, I think that you probably just do know, and maybe you don't have the courage to say or, or to yourself what is yes. true for you. So maybe you could offer a little more here than me. So like if, if, if someone's like, gosh, because I've actually had a couple of requests to do podcasts about it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know what I'd say. I mean, well, trust yourself, <laughs> like trust your instincts, trust your desires. And if the desire isn't there, then it's not there. And that's, 
that's very normal and that's very healthy. So what would like what would you say if someone's like, oh gosh, I'm so happy, I'm so happy that this conversation's come up. Like, what well, tell me what to do. I'm whatever age and whatever, you know, relationship situation, what do I need to do? What questions do I need to ask? Yeah. Well, I first of all, um, I think that you do have something to say and what you have to say, like trust your trust your desires. You probably don't, you know, if you don't feel you want them, you probably know what you want and what you don't want. I think that's valid and uh, really valuable and powerful. The problem is that there is this myth that you will change your mind, that every woman will eventually want kids whether they want them now or not. And it's not necessary. I mean, it is in certain ways, but um, the biological way, you know, the traditional route of having children yourself from your own uterus is not necessarily a reversible decision later in life. You know, you can't uh, just say at 50, you know what? I changed my mind. I do want them. Um, so there's that TikTok kind of pressure on all women, you know, and now you can freeze your eggs. Um, I'm glad that I didn't do that and that it wasn't a thing back then. It wasn't a thing the way it is now because it might've kept me on the fence. Like, I don't know, should we activate them? Um, are we going to regret it later? (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but I like, I played thought experiments with myself that were, I found really helpful. And one of them was if, having kids were suddenly made illegal. Like it is illegal. It is against the law for women to have babies from now on. Like the cutoff was yesterday. Um, No more having babies. Would I go to the Supreme Court and march for justice and say like, you know, give me my rights back. I want to have babies. Or would I be like slipping a secret note to the Supreme Court being like, don't reverse that. Um, Thank you very much. Like, but I just breathe the sigh of relief. Like, oh, I can't anyway. Okay, good. And then the pressure would be off and the, you know, er- everybody's thoughts about it, about whether I should or shouldn't, whether I should reconsider would be off the table and I would be peaceful with my decision. So that's part of what led me to it. And also uh, getting on the same page with like making sure my husband, Stephen and I were on the same page that was really important. It can cause a lot of tension if, you know, you want one thing and your spouse or partner wants the other. And he said that, you know, there was just one particular night when we sat down and I was, I said to him, it was like a year or so after we were married and when I was, and I was 38, 39, um, I was feeling a lot of pressure and I was like, would you really truly be okay if we don't have kids? And he just said very clearly without any hesitation. Yeah. And that's when I was like, okay, we're going for it. Like we're going for not going for it. And I felt excited rather than like indecisive and like, oh crap. I just felt excited and expansive about it. So I think whatever clarity. it takes. Yeah, clarity. Clarity feels, clarity feels so good, doesn't it? And I, yeah. I feel that that's when we're in tune with ourselves and no one can tell us. Like this applies to everything. No one can tell you the right thing to do. Or I mean, I used to think everyone should have a side hustle. Everyone, I don't think that anymore. 
I don't really think anything anymore. I just think, well, what do you, what, what do you think? You know, I mean, we all, I think, I, just, I really think we all know. And that kind of relief that you feel, that's always like the right direction. It's like yes. just seeking bits of relief. It's like, come this way. <laughs> it's almost like the relief is all we allow in. We're not even allowing in the full experience, but relief is enough. Like if Oh, we- you're a relief. <laughs> I mean, you said it once and I quote you all the time. You're like, relief mm-hmm. is the greatest gift we can give to people. It's the greatest feeling in the world. Mm-hmm. I agree. Oh, even a friend of mine sick. I'm like, it'll be over soon. You'll be sick forever. That's the worst feeling, right? Like when you think about that, when you're sick, you're like, is it going to end? That's the problem, mm-hmm. right? Because you think it's not when you're in it, but I'm like, it'll pass in a couple of days. You'll be okay. I don't even know if that's true, but it hasn't always been. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I agree, but and I think that this book gives relief. Thank you. Like on all, I, I absolutely do. I mean, uh, one chapter that I liked here was when you spoke about the rules and you spoke about this boy who was obsessed with you and he seemed pretty nice. <laughs> like I was like, he was a nice, he was a good one. <laughs> he was a keeper. You were like really turned off. <laughs> yes. I used, so that is the uh, commitment phobe chapter on what I play. Mm-hmm. And I was tired of being attracted to and trying to date a-holes and um, who didn't love me back. And so I was like, I'm going to get the right person to love me back. And I bought a copy of that book, The Rules, that was out in the 90s. And, um, and it was like, I forget what the subtitle was, but it was something about like getting, you know, getting a keeper of a boyfriend and making him your husband or something. It had an engagement ring on the cover. And I was like, you know what? I'm not good at rules. I never follow them, but I'm going to try this. I'm just going to see what happens. And I did follow the rules and I was, you know, I wasn't too eager. I wasn't clingy. Um, it was like, you know, no sex till the third date, et cetera, et cetera. And it worked really well. And this guy was, he wasn't just great on paper. He was a great guy. He was artistic, Mm -hmm. creative, smart, funny. We got along. We could talk endlessly, like for hours. But um, I think, you know, it could be that I think part of it was that he just wasn't the right person for me. Like I just Mm -hmm. lost my attraction to him. Part of it was that I wasn't ready for that kind of commitment. Um, partially because I knew that it could lead to marriage, which would lead to kids. And I didn't want to confront that, uh, at the time. And yeah, yeah. so I tanked the, I tanked the relationship. I mean, my feelings for him tanked and then I just, um, I like, (laughs) here's the spoiler, uh, I didn't like sleeping in the same bed. He took up the whole bed. He was a big guy. He snored. And every night, like usually in my sleep, I would push him uh, like towards the edge of the bed till he was closer and closer to the edge. Uh, I just <laughs> wanted to starfish in the middle. That's all I wanted in my life. <laughs> and one night I like woke up and like the light was on and he was stumbling around with like blood coming out of his knee. I was like, what happened? Um, and I was like, why'd you wake me up? And he was like, I just cut my leg on your bed frame. Cause I didn't have a bed skirt. I was like, it's <laughs> just not mature enough to even buy a bed skirt. And I was like too much of a level of adulting and he had to go to the emergency room and it was by himself. I didn't go with him. Uh, I was like, yay, now I have the bed all to myself. And that's when you kind of, you kind of know you're not into somebody and you're like, yay, he's going to the emergency room. And then, um, yeah, I can sleep. 
<laughs> you are the effing worst. Can I just? <laughs> this subtitle is appropriate. <laughs> only in that story, of course. <laughs> of course, only in that one. But isn't it interesting, though, that when you met your now husband, Stephen, who we love, you naturally were doing the rules. Yes. Right, like you, I mean, well, not the prescription of like, number one, be a creature unlike any other. I love that book, by the way. <laughs> I really, it's an old classic. Um, it's all but you were, yeah, it, 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 it works. Uh, yeah. But you were kind of just doing them naturally because you kind of want, you, you want in the headspace of just pursuing him. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So I, I would say, yes, I followed those rules in a way, um, sort of as a side effect of, not following any of the rules, any of the common dating advice that you would give anybody to have a great, to kick off a great relationship. Because at the time when I met Stephen, my now husband, I was in a really crappy, messed up relationship um, that I'd been in for over two years with a married, with my married salsa instructor. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, the, the real, like, smart dating wisdom would be uh, clear your life. You know, we all like Marie Kondo and like to say like declutter, Marie Kondo, your love life, Um, get rid of any relationships that are cluttering your, your life that are taking up space um, to make room for love to come in. And also, you know, you, for, to find love, you have to love and respect yourself. And none of that was true about my current condition, about my current mm-hmm. life at the time. Mm-hmm. So I was in this relationship. I was desperate and clingy with the boy, with the married boyfriend and um, mm-hmm. just absolutely obsessed with him, you know, and uh, with him finding time for me and being with him alone without his wife or without his other girlfriends that he was, you know, cheating on me with, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so much so. And obviously I was in a low desperate place, not being Mm -hmm. self-respecting or anything like that. And Mm -hmm. so to to such an extent that when I met Steven, I didn't have time. I didn't have the bandwidth to obsess over him and be clingy the way I normally would have when I liked somebody. And so Mm -hmm. like he would write, you know, I would email him and not get a reply for like three weeks. And I wasn't stalking him. I wasn't like, what's going on? Is he seeing somebody? Which he was, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> et cetera. I was <laughs> <Yeah>. just, <laughs> I was just easy going about it. I was like, if he had to cancel plans because he was opening a restaurant or probably had to see his girlfriend at the time, I'd be like, <laughs> oh, that's fine. It's all for the better. Um, this way I don't have to lie to my current, mm-hmm. you know, married cheating boyfriend. <laughs> You really put it all in here. Like truly, I mean, <laughs> it's so interesting seeing someone's relationship history. You know, I always I always think to myself, you almost really know someone well when you understand their relationship history and when you understand their career history. Like oh, when yeah. you see someone's resume, I get, I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Like, and um, when you and I saw each other last week, I mentioned that when I was reading your, I, I know that you didn't really, uh, the, the corporate game didn't work for you. It didn't suit you. And I just have such a different experience with that, especially yeah. around like that kind of, that kind of age. I was really hustling, carrying business cards, like setting up my life, like building my future. Like yes. that was uh, my obsession, right? And then you're like sh- kind of like, you know, a bit more casual about it, not desperate to get to work on time, you know, um, <laughs> working, your, like, working your way around, like being a bit more reactive than proactive. <laughs> 
<laughs> right with with your career moves and I'm like wow we are just like I mean, like, like the Sahara and the Arctic is like how I was, <laughs> how I was like relating it. I'm like, whoa! And to think too, like, but look at you. I mean, look, you you have so much credibility. So many people love you. What you've built, the business, your independence. There is no right or wrong path, right? There is that. Right. I mean, that for me, that's a huge takeaway here. It's like sometimes we can think, oh, but I, you know, I made a mistake or I didn't really apply myself or I didn't build that identity capital that people talk about in the, like the corporate sector. Like when I read this, I was like, wow, you, I mean, there are, there's no, show me a straight river. You know, it's like right. the way that we get there. So can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think a lot of people are lost and they think that they've missed the mark or it's too late or maybe they haven't been very happy in the last few years and yeah. we have all these feelings of fear and being behind. Yes. And, and we think that there is a straight path, like a supposed to path. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are inclined mm -hmm. to stick with it. Um, like determined mm -hmm. to rise up the corporate ladder. You know, when I, so I, I opened the book with this story. It's in the intro chapter. Um, so it, I was, I'd say I was rounding 40 and Stephen and I had dinner with uh, a good friend of his and the friend's new girlfriend who came to dinner a little late. She was like carrying her big tote with the, with sneakers sticking out and her hair was, you know, shower fresh from um, soul cycle or whatever spin class. And, you know, she sits down, like puts her hair up into a, you know, a wet bun. And, um, I think he asked her, you know, how was your day? And she's like, oh, fine. You know, it's like every time I walk into the office, I get promoted. I just keep moving up and up and up. Like, and she worked at Condé Nast. She was like, gosh, in a couple of years, I'm probably going to end up being publisher. And I remember feeling like oh, never in my life have I felt like I moved up and up and up, especially not in the corporate world. And, um, it, you know, at the time I felt part of me felt behind, like, God, I'm so windy. I'm so up and down and sideways um, rather than up and up and up. And part of me felt like, thank God I skipped that. Um, the whole court, like I knew from the very start that even before I entered the corporate world at all, that corporate life was not for me, that that straight prescribed path uh, which was at the time the main path of success. There weren't entrepreneurs. There weren't every, no one around me had their own businesses. There was no internet. Um, so that was the way you succeeded by getting a job in a, at a great company and moving up and up and up. And from the very start, you know, and I was like, I was determined. It was like, I don't want any job where I have to wear pantyhose or be at an <laughs> office by, you know, 9am. And yeah. I ended up getting a job in an office where I was supposed to be there by 9am first by 10. And then when it came to summer hours by nine, you know, first it was 10 to six. And then for summer hours, you worked nine to nine to six every day. And then you got a half day Fridays and I couldn't make it on time for either of those start times, not for 10, not for nine, not for 10. And I couldn't dress the way everyone dressed. Like you were supposed to wear power suits to work. You know, that's, those are, that's what you wore. If you like, if you didn't just have meetings, but you took meetings, if you were moving up and up and up, you wore a suit. And I dressed in like little skirts and baby tees, which were hot net, which are back in, by the way. Uh, and it was, of course, as in every corporate office, freezing cold. So I heard, you know, one conversation nearby of somebody, you know, a couple of guys saying like, oh, it's a little nippy in here. And I was like, I knew they were talking about me. I was like, you know what? 
<laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. You are welcome. I just, I knew I wasn't cut out for that. And um, I wasn't cut out for that straight path. I was fixated on finding work that didn't feel like work that felt like I was getting paid to be myself. And that's that's not easy to find, especially when you have no work experience and like mm-hmm. no one's just going to hire you. No one's going to pay you to exist, um, mm-hmm. first of all. but <laughs> and, I, and your dad was worried. Like he was like, oh my gosh, like what do we do? And, <laughs> yes. but, you, but there was something resolute within you that just still, maybe not consciously, but just knew who you are. And it, you, it was, it, it, you not a refusal, but it was like, no, you were steadfast. Like, this is who I am. And then yeah. it kind of started to arise as luck would have it, right? Whereas the universe would have it. You started getting kind of these opportunities that worked with you, that allowed yeah. your genius. So you could use your quick wit, use your amazing one-liners. Like, can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I held out for for those opportunities because, first of all, I knew I was never going to prove myself to anyone in those jobs that you're supposed to have, where you're supposed to anticipate the boss's needs and be a superstar intern or superstar admin person, executive assistant. None of those roles were going to showcase what I could do. I just wanted to tap my talent. Um, that That became very important to me. And so... I guess through a series of mistakes and mishaps um, and be, and not being very good at my job. It's how I landed mm-hmm. these opportunities, starting with the opportunity I had at Spy Magazine, where as an intern, um, actually starting with the job before that, where a friend called me at like 11 a.m. on a day I was, of course, home and sleeping because I didn't have a job. And it's like, <laughs> hey, can you come in? <laughs> can you? Um, I'm working with this author, Lisa Birnbach, um, who was a star to me. She was very famous for writing the Preppy Handbook, and she was working on her college mm-hmm. book at the, at the time. And my friend said, we're, you know, I'm fa- helping her fact check her new book. Can you come? We need more fact checkers right away. Can you come in? And I was like, oh, God, now I can't go to my step class, you know, (laughs) my aerobics class, and I can't stay in bed till noon, et cetera, et cetera. But I was like, fine. It sounds like a cool opportunity um, to work with somebody interesting and creative. So I went in and started doing that. And she, the my boss, Lisa Birnbach, recognized something in me, saw that I had talent in just the little things, the little bits that I wrote for her book and um, said, yeah, I remember her saying to my dad, like when he came to meet me for lunch, she's like, we love Laura, we've got to tap that talent. And I was like, that, that is what I want. And she got me an internship. Then, so this is the next job that I was talking about. She got me an internship at Spy Magazine, which was this cool downtown publication where I was, this is where you referred to me being not quite proactive. Um, we were, <laughs> as an intern, we were expected to do intern like things like Xerox, this, you know, the gossip pack, all the gossip pages of the different newspapers for the editors there. But also, we were expected to pitch story ideas, come up with stories for the magazine and pitch them. They wanted us to be- to become editors. And the I didn't come up with anything. I couldn't think of any stories. I'm like, oh, I guess I'm not a journalist. Um, and the managing editor had to take me to lunch and say, you know, you can take initiative here. And I was like, oh my gosh, I guess I have the opposite of initiative if someone has to tell me to take it. Uh, and <laughs> I was like, I'm just not going to make it here. But luckily, 
I got invited when my internship ran out and I was not going to be invited to be an editor. I got invited Mm -hmm. by the ad department to work for them. And they assigned me a piece that nobody on the editorial side wanted, which was an advertorial for the magazine, which was an article. It was an, uh, so that is, those are the pages of the magazine that look like they're part of the magazine, but they're not. Mm -hmm. Um, They're Mm -hmm. actually an ad, they say in tiny print at the top advertisement. And so I wrote this, um, it was for doers, scotch. And um, my full spread contained an essay, ironically, an essay on adulthood. Um, I was still living in my <laughs> yes. parent in my childhood bedroom at you know still age twenty six, um, yeah. and and then a quiz: Do you party like your uncle Marty? And it was to mm-hmm. determine whether you were a hip, you know, swinging person or an old fart loser. And if you were an old fart <laughs> loser, uh, the remedy was to drink doers, of course. And I had a full page in the magazine. Like it came out, people thought it was really funny. And I realized, oh, this is, oh, that's, this is called copywriting. Um, and I also realized I love writing short, funny things. And so I, that is how I discovered by being bad at my job and not proactive um, and also sleeping till, you know, noon earlier than that. That's how I found my way to something that I love to do that I knew I could do. And I went from there to all the other jobs that I've had. Do you think that this could be true for anybody? Because I think, you know, we push through, right? Don't we? We, I don't think that often we think that there's an option. I don't think I ever thought I had an option. And I mean, that worked for me. I I had a a lot of satisfaction in in the work that I was doing. Certainly I had so much, it, it, it gave me a lot, but I don't know. I feel like the more the the longer I live, the more I speak to people who are just who who just aren't there. You know, they they may look good on paper professionally, but there's something. There's like a yearning. They their talent isn't tapped, you know, so to speak, like yours. Right. So so what I mean, do you think that there is a way, like if for, for everybody, like do you think that this could be possible for if so, for someone who's like, well, but I'm just this. I'm really amazing at teaching swimming, or I'm really amazing when it comes to putting looks together, or really helping menopausal women. I've helped all of my friends, whatever it may be. Do you think that that yeah. there is an alternative, and we don't have to necessarily keep doing what we're doing or what other people are doing? I really do, especially now. Um, you know, the person who's really helping, great at helping our friends through menopause. Um, yes. You know, we have the internet. We have so many resources available to us mm-hmm. to actualize those dreams and tap our talent and put it out there. Mm-hmm. I I do think that I had great, um, really advantageous circumstances where I was, mm-hmm. you know, able to live in New York City in my childhood bedroom. Not everybody has that available to them. But then again, you don't necessarily have to be in New York City anymore to get great opportunities and, and seize them. So there's that. Um, and also, you know, it, it might be a little or a lot more difficult and higher stakes than what I did for you, especially if you are providing for a family um, mm-hmm. and don't have the same financial leeway and cushion that mm-hmm. I did. But I still think it is possible and mm, not obligatory. That's not the word I'm looking for, but I, I think mm-hmm. like an obligation to yourself to follow that path, to feel that you are tapping into your own talent and expressing it 
um, hopefully through your work. To me, that is the holy grail of work. Like work is not satisfying unless it is tapping my talent. And Mm -hmm. some people have a different view of work and that's great too, if that's what makes Mm -hmm. them happy. Like work is just work and it's not who I am. I don't think it has Mm -hmm. to be who you are at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll, you know, use my talents elsewhere. I think that's great too. If it, if it, if it makes you happy and feel Mm -hmm. fulfilled, but to me, if you want work that doesn't feel like work, that feels like something you could do for the rest of your life and never want to retire, I think it's about making your work a full expression of who you are and of your talents, your gifts. Um, And to me, that is the holy grail of Mm -hmm. career and work. And this is what you help people do with all of your offers, programs, where you work with people, getting paid to be you. Do you think that there's a barrier that people feel like me? Like, oh, I'm just Jane, you know, or I'm just like, you know, Claire and, um, you know, have you ever met someone where you're like, oh, you really couldn't be paid to be you? I found if someone has an idea that they want to get out there, I've never, never met a person who hasn't got a lot of potential for that. Yeah. So have yeah. you, I mean, what, what's been your experience that way when it, when it comes to getting paid to be? Cause you do it so well and you own that. Yeah. I, thank you. I have mm-hmm. certainly, I've met people who are, who are to me dull or mm-hmm. um, not mm-hmm. a personality I am drawn to, but I feel like, the, you know, whether it's romantically or creatively and career wise, um, there is a lid for every pot and there are going to be people who are drawn to you, no matter what your personality is, like the right people. And that's the, the best thing about it, about expressing who you are through your business is that it attracts like-minded people. Like you say what's on your mind and you will attract like-minded people. And those are, aren't those the people you want to work with that you want as your customers, as your, um, you know, your buyers, your clients, who, whatever form of work you're doing, those are the people you want around you and in your orbit. So expressing your true personality, not somebody else's who's more funny or boisterous or sassy, or, you know, if you start to think like, that's what being you means, it's not, Mm. it's you yourself. Even if you do consider yourself like boring or dull, um, Mm. that's interesting to somebody, probably somebody who's, who considers themselves that too. And you'll be a beacon for them. It's like, oh, that person's <laughs> right. That person's just yeah. like straightforward, not at all funny. And just like me and I want to be around them and they're doing it. Great. I want to choose at random a couple of these tabs because, oh my God, I mean, oh my gosh, how quickly the time goes. And we're talking about oh. tough titties right here. Yes. Uh, yes. I want to, okay. Ah. Oh, oh, this is a nice one. Okay, I, I had I, I highlighted some of my favorite lines. This is from the Boys Don't Like Me chapter. Oh my gosh, these chapters are so good. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. Speaking about a takeaway, boys aren't into me. So when they are, I better take what I can get, even when that's someone else's crush, boyfriend, or husband. You can never get. En- this is what I highlighted. You can never get enough of what you think you don't have enough of especially if it's something you think makes you worth taking up space on the planet. Mm. Dare I say a bit of self-help sneaks in here. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You know, someone would just ask me like, but you you know, your book, uh, you're anti-self-help, but your book has a lot of self-help in it. Like, how do you, where do you draw draw the distinction between, uh, is it personal development and not self-help? I'm absolutely not anti-self-help. 
I love yeah. self-help. I love anything that works. I love improving myself, becoming, you know, the person I want to be. So it's, I'm just anti-self-help culture. Um, so I, yeah, I love it. If you find something helpful, self-helpful in the book. You might be a closet life coach here. Who knows? I mean, I've thought that for a long time. We've spoken about this. It's like closet life coach. Are you coming out? (laughs) Maybe I am. Isn't that true? It's like, and you say here, look, like money or attention from boys. This in a self-helpy online industry is what they call a scarcity mindset or coming from a place of lack. Basically a doctor's note to be a thirsty asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember now that when I read, do you remember these words or are you like, I do. you can't look at, you, you do? Or you, no, I do. Well, all, partly because I just recorded the whole audio book recently. Oh, yes. So, yeah. oh, so that refreshed my memory. Too? Yes. Mm. It's going to be oh, good. My, and um, I have to say, I mean, I want to choose a couple more here because oh, yeah. they're so juicy. But I, um, I stand by that, oh. by the way. Thank you for reading it out yeah. loud. And it is, it is true. Like anything that you think, um, makes you worthy and you don't have enough of, you're going to, you're going to be desperate for hungry for, you know, and I, I think your response to it, if I, back then, if we'd known each other back then and you were who you are now, and I was who I was then, if I said, boys don't like me, you would say, is that true? And I'd say, yeah, it's true. Look at this and this and this. And then you'd say, but is it really true? Mm. And Which but, is a question worth asking. That. Think, about, think about your European boyfriend. Think about the boy you kicked out of bed and he was bleeding and he didn't care. I mean, boys like you. Exactly. Right? I, yes. I think I was just into boys who didn't like me. I think that was where I got my evidence. And luckily for us, we get to read the book, right? We get to enjoy the story. I always think that I'm like, if there are things that we've lived through, it's not to hoard, right? It's not to just go, oh, that was wild. Or, oh, that really was a, that was like a, a great insight into humanity that I had to live on, you know, experience myself, you know, it, it's to be generous. I agree. And that's what I mean. And I have to say, I do really enjoy the final sentence of the book, if you recall. I mean, it is a little self-helpy, but may I read it? Yes, please. (laughs) Okay. So, of course, we've already read a lot at this point about you, your your path, your New York City experiences. And I mean, like, we haven't touched on anything even, like, in this, like, short (laughs) interview. I mean, there there is so much here. You're in a cult. I mean... (laughs) This is this is a a treat, a treasure, right? Um, But you say... Make no mistake, I'm still me. These days, I'm pretty pleased with myself and the success I've created. Love. Um, Until I opened Instagram. (laughs) When I started my business, a caption says, I felt lost and hopeless and invisible. Six months later, I made $3 million in an hour. Never give up on your dreams. (laughs) I know. If you're jealous of someone, it's an indicator of your own desires. Yep. And no matter how far I've come, I feel behind in achieving those desires all the time. That doesn't go away. Probably once a day, I make a mean face at people clinking champagne flutes on a private jet. Saw my company, treating 10 besties to a little adventure. (laughs) And then I mute or unfollow. Because as long as I don't see people in front of me, I'm not behind. Then again, and this goes for you too, maybe there's no such thing. 
oh, that makes you want to cry. Oh, me too. You were reading it made me want to cry. I'm like, that's good. <laughs> I think it's so beautiful because you know what? I think no matter what, and we're lucky enough, like I feel like you and I know a lot of really lovely, cool, successful people. And success is such a subjective thing, I know. But I even mean by traditional standards, and we all feel behind. Right. We all feel like, oh, but this person with that or, oh, but that person has this real estate or that person has, I don't know, some like incredible nonprofit or like, oh, I haven't done. So for anyone who's feeling behind, right, for anyone who's just uh, in the mood for an incredible summer read too, for anyone who just wants to laugh their butts off, like, (laughs) like this is a call to the book is here, tough titties. I mean, is there anything uh, like... You know, as we wrap, and I don't want to end, I mean, where should people go to find out about you? Tell us all about the bonuses. I have a special giveaway coming too, but where do we drive people? Tell us everything. Oh, yes. Thank you, Susie. Oh my gosh. Okay. So please come find the book at, I mean, you can, you can find it on Amazon, et cetera, anywhere. But if you want, I've got all the booksellers listed and links to them at toughtittiesbook.com. And that's where the form is for you to fill out with you know, your information, how many copies you got, because I have different, different bonuses for different numbers, Mm -hmm. amounts of of books. Um, If you buy just one, you are going to get the intro chapter free. So you get a sneak peek at it. And I think I'm also going to have some cut bonus content, the stuff, something that didn't make it into the book. And uh, for two copies, you're going to get this behind this, behind the scenes or behind the titties call replay that I did about my whole book process about uh, writing it, rewriting it, crying, being curled up in the fetal position, um, the whole book deal, you know, getting the book deal and how I was marketing it up to that point. Um, so that's a, that's a really nice bonus and there will be others, but you, those you can only get at that page at toughtittiesbook.com. And then also, and that's a page that's also linked in, um, my website, talkingshrimp.com. So you can find me there and you can also come find me on Instagram where I'm usually storying pictures of me and Susie together <laughs> because I love her <laughs> <Yay>! so much. <laughs> I'm at Laura Belgray over there. Yes. Oh, my friends, do yourself a, like, a, do, do yourself a real, really solid favor and purchase Tough Titties for you, for a friend. Like it's really fun to read things together. I find going through memoirs with someone else brings up yeah. so many things that we start to remember. And it's, a, I mean, experience shows that like there's such connection in that that really is very freedom giving, very permission giving. It's very healthy for us. So don't read this book alone. Grab it, <laughs> grab one for your friends. I mean, enjoy it. You'll be laughing. I almost can't think of a wrong season or someone this couldn't potentially be for. There is so much covered here. And I'm giving away 10 books too. So you may be a lucky recipient of Tough Titties. Stay tuned for my email and social announcement on that. There'll be a couple of fun, easy things for you to do in order to get a copy. So Laura, congratulations. What a joy. I really, I wish you every success with Mm -hmm. this beauty, like truly. And the first of many, I hope, on to the next. That's what I would, if I were your life coach, I'd go, okay, tell me about your second book. Uh-huh. <laughs> which you are my life coach. So thank you. Yes, I don't know about my second book yet, but I do appreciate the urging just like I did in 2017. I will say mm-hmm. one th- one kind of person this book is not for. You're like, I can't imagine anyone. This isn't, who isn't going to like this? Prudes. Prudes will not oh, like prudes. this book. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes, 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 yes. Prudes yeah. or anyone who might not like any kind of swearing or any... Mm-hmm. Um, sexual uh, content or maybe it's like or maybe it could be like a little guilty pleasure like hide it like <laughs> hide mm-hmm. it underneath yes. your mattress 
Who yeah. knows? Maybe it could even like crack open a little something. Mm-mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm-mm. Yes. <laughs> if you're a prude, why don't you push the envelope a little bit with yourself? Laura <laughs> and Tough Titties, so much love. Wishing you so much success. And I hope you'll come back. I mean, we have so much more to talk about. So Gladly. Like, let's make a date for tomorrow. I love you so much. I'll talk to you all day long. Thank you, Susie. <gasps> oh. My friends, tough titties, grab it, grab it, grab it. Stay uh, stay tuned for my my giveaway, my social announcements. And Laura, so much love. You'll hear hear hearing from me very, very soon. Bye-bye for now. Hey friend, I've got something really cool for you. I want to give you free access to my signature course called Slay Your Year, which typically sells for $997. You can check it out, all the details at slayyouryear.com. All you have to do to get access is leave me a review, leave a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts, take a snapshot of it and send it to info at susie-more.com. That's info at susie-more.com and we'll get you set up with access.